Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stone Ape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Kevin Matthews, a leader in the decriminalization movement from Denver to D.C. and back. We talked about his own battle with depression as a West Point cadet and the help he got from mushrooms. Then we discussed decrim and so much more. So let's hear from Kevin. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for, for joining me here on the Stone Ape Reports. It's uh, you and I have had a few conversations around the decriminalized nature uh, community. So I'm really uh, grateful and, and honored to have you here to talk to us today about your experiences. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to, to talk with you and, and with your audience. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into this. Um, obviously, what we're here to talk about is kind of what, what led you to psychedelics. You know, what was going on in your life before psychedelics and uh, what your psychedelic experience was like and then, you know, how, how it kind of helped you change things or transform things, you know, for the better. So what was going on in your life beforehand? Man, that's, you know, it's a, a really important question. And for me, and I'm still trying to figure it out sometimes. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I was in a, in a crisis. Um, and the reason why is because I was, um, I had recently left the U S military Academy. So I'm, so I'm a veteran and I'm actually mm. retired from the U S army. Wow. Um, and I'm retired from the U S army for, uh, for major depression. And so oh. I was a uh, cadet at the U.S. Military Academy up there at, at West Point, New York. And, you know, I'd wanted to be a U.S. Army officer my entire life. Wanted to serve my country. Um, wanted to, you know, spread the banner of freedom across the world, right? Mm-hmm. So from, from the age of nine, when I decided I wanted to go to West Point, it, you know, took me a decade to get there. So I started at West Point when I was 19. It's my first summer of basic training. And was doing really well for the first couple of years. And then towards the end of my, my sophomore year at the academy and, and getting into my, my junior year, something started to break down. Um, and, you know, just lack of motivation, lack of, of uh, I mean, just a, a, a lack of a desire to continue mm. on this mission that I had. And, and so I was diagnosed with, with major depression at the academy. And at the time, uh, the Army, you know, didn't have the tools. And arguably, they, they still don't, which is why we're doing this work. Um, yeah. in many ways, but they still don't, you know, they didn't have the tools to address the, the kind of depression that I had, which kind of looking back at it, you know, all of this stuff was, was certainly, um, at least for me, what I've been able to uncover since my time working with psychedelics and other, other modes of spirituality and, and personal growth is, you know, ha- has a lot to do around my birth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I ended up getting a, a, a formal discharge from the army, um, retired from the army. And this was back in uh, December, December of 2008 is when I was formally retired from the army. And so I, I floated for a number of years because I'd, I'd lost my center. Um, mm. You know, I, I had aspirations of, uh, you know, this career of military service. Um, I wanted to go into to infantry and, and be a special forces officer and, and, and take that wow. path, right? And so when mm-hmm. that all crumbled away, I uh, was on the search and floated for a number of years definitely got into substance abuse, alcohol, some might argue, um, abusing cannabis to a degree, um, and really just floating and trying to find my purpose. And it took about, I mean, gosh, it was about, let's see, about, about three years. So back in, in, uh, early 2011. So like, yeah, actually just about a decade ago, um, I had met an, a, a new group of friends I kind of uprooted my life. I, I realized that I had to move out of my dad's place, um, and and start to figure this, you know, figure my life out. <laughs> um, and it was this group of friends that that uh, encouraged and introduced me to to psilocybin, and I agreed. And we ended up having um, um, an experience one evening one evening that was certainly 
recreational. Um, and this is, you know, Denver 2000, early 2011, um, a recreational experience where, you know, I had no idea that it would turn into this therapeutic, blissful, hmm. back in the mind open experience. Um, and, and in that trip, you know, it was, I was with this group of friends. We just went for a walk in the city, um, went to a park that had a playground, played on the playground, you know, and, and I remember looking up the, looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds and watching the clouds pass by. Um, you know, it, it must've been, it wasn't a full moon that night, but it was, it was pretty lit up because of the moon Yeah. and then seeing the clouds go by and just getting the, the sense or the intuition or the experience or the feeling that, you know, that was my life passing by each of these mm. moments kind of s- stuck in this rut of, of, you, you know, self-talk, you know, you know, if, if you're depressed mm-hmm. and, and you're, and you have suicidal ideations like that, that self-talk is uh, pretty tough. And, and I just, I recognize that like, I'm in control of this. Um, I don't have to, to continue to tell myself that I'm, I'm this person that has depression. And, mm. and like in that moment, it's like, you know, I, I could say that like in that moment, the clouds in the sky cleared, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure they didn't, <laughs> but like, but like in my head, it was like, holy smokes, like my, my perspective just was just skyrocketed. And I, and I could see how my mindset and these choices that I've been making all have been to reinforce this notion that I'm, that I have this disability. Right. And, yeah. and from that moment, I was like, well, that's, I was like, I was like, fuck that. Like that's, I don't have to, I, I, I'm in control of how I think about myself. I can make a new choice and have a new perspective and create a new perception for my own reality and how I interact in, you know, in, in, in this, in this experience that we call life. And so it was in that moment that, that was, well, it, 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 it changed my perspective. And so there was that part that part of it, the, the very subjective personal experience, right. Yeah. That was facilitated by, by, by the mushrooms, by these allies. And, and then coupled with that was this experience of being in community with this, you know, this, this new group of friends who I felt like I could trust tremendously and, wow. and who, you know, who offered their love and offered their compassion um, and it was a fantastic night. I mean, a friend of mine, I actually just saw him a few weeks ago. He, he recently moved or a couple of years ago, moved back to, or, or moved to, uh, to Washington state. Um, but he, you know, he was sitting on the couch that evening when we got back to the house and he did a from seated on the couch. He was, he was in a trance, right. And just, just relaying some really like high level information about his life and about, the experience of, of being a human. And, and he's a fairly athletic individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and he literally did a full front flip from seated off the couch and landed on his, on his feet on the floor. And wow. I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, but it, you know, Good thing it was you didn't try it. What's that? Good thing you didn't try it. No, I know. I, I couldn't try that. I would fall flat on my face, but yeah. it was, you know, just to reiterate, like, like having that, incredible, you know, uplifting, mind expanding experience that really formed the foundation for me of, of why I'm doing this work. Mm. Um, and then coming back, you know, we were having a, a really good time. It was safe. It was a, um, you know, it, it was a, a, a really helpful and safe and comforting yeah. for us to be together. There's about six of us. Um, yeah. And then you kind of fast forward a few years because I ended up uh, finding the, the love of my life. Um, the woman who I'm nice. married to now, her name is Sheva, um, who, by the way, we wouldn't have been able to, the campaign in Denver would not have, have been successful, I think, at least with me at the helm without the support of my wife. Oh, nice. Um, and so we, we fast forward a couple of years from that experience and I'm kind of like, like bought in, right? Like I'm like, this is, this is important. Yeah. There's there's something to this, to these mushrooms, you know, these are medicine. There's, 
what's going on here? Um, and I discovered the work that Maps was doing, mm-hmm. and I was particularly interested in that, being a veteran, and and learning about the work that Maps was doing in terms of um, using MDMA to uh, treat PTSD with veterans, and so that was enthralling to me, and 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 you know that really catalyzed me just doing more research and developing a, a better understanding of the, the modern clinical potential of different psychedelics. And, and some would argue that, that MDMA isn't, a, isn't quite a psychedelic, right? They would, some folks call MDMA and, and, and pathogen, um, yeah. you know, but that, but the work that maps was doing really helped me start to, to understand the work of, and the potential of of these different, you know, um, psychoactive substances in a Western context, and and open my eyes up to the the trauma that you know really open my eyes up even more to the trauma that I experienced, or 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 even sometimes do well not sometimes but currently experience as a human being, mm-hmm. right? And just the ability of of these various compounds to. Um, create transformation, create, you know, I mean, Michael Pollan, I guess he really hit it, you know, like create a new understanding. Um, yeah. And so that was for me back then. And then fast forward a few years later, um, you know, my, my wife and I, and, and, and our son, we, we lived off grid for a while in, in Southern Colorado on, you know, 10 acres of, of just beautiful high desert land out there nestled right in the San Luis Valley, which is, this it, it's the it's the highest alpine valley in the in the world i <laughs> want to say capable of of agriculture so lots of lots of potato farms out there um right but it's just like it it's it's this place where there's this tremendous clear open sky i mean you couldn't be um at least in colorado like you know this this vast expanse of of starlit territory where you can walk out there in the evening and, wow. and just dive into the cosmos. Um, and it's just right south of the, uh, the great sand dunes in Colorado, some of the best star watching in the world. Wow. You know, and had a couple of experiences out there as well that really informed um, some of my, my thinking around this and really reinforced the, 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 the necessity of, of community with this work. Um, and then after after we left the valley out there, we came back to Colorado and or came back to, to Denver rather. And shortly thereafter, um, the work with the campaign started, and you know it it wasn't really it, it wasn't my idea. I, I think I was just I was guided and directed into doing this work. Um, and. Yeah, I, I can say it's it's still it's still ongoing. You know the the <laughs> uh, the, the lessons never stop, and and um, I'm just so excited for you know kind of you know just just what's next and and seeing the momentum of of what's happened so far with with decriminalizing psilocybin and other entheogens and what we're experiencing now as um, as a country. Yeah, when. Uh... Yeah, and I can't wait to talk to you more about that too. The but in in terms of all this, did you get any kind of insight as to if there was anything behind that depression? Because the depression kind of came on after you had such hope. You know, what I mean, you had hope in life since age nine. I want to go, you know, be a soldier. I want to go to the academy because that's pretty elite. You know, I went through ROTC, so I met a lot of you know guys that went through the academy. That that's an elite thing to do. It does take a lot of work and a lot of determination to get there in the first place. Did you, did the medicines uh, help you discover any, uh, anything behind the depression? Uh, certainly. Um, I'm, I'm adopted mm. and, you know, I, I actually, I've known that I was adopted for, well, when I was five years old, my, my dad uh, who recently passed away just about a year ago. Um, my dad read a letter to me that my, my 
my mom, my biological mom wrote. Mm. And so, you know, early on from that age, I, I knew that I was adopted and, you know, I, 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 my classmates might see this differently, but, you know, I was one of those kids that was just uh, different in school. Mm. And, and, and I think that what the mushrooms have helped me uncover about myself is, is, is related to the trauma of abandonment. Mm. Um, you know, there, there wasn't any, any, any birth trauma per se, aside arguably from, from, uh, being circumcised, (laughs) (laughs) which is another hole to go down. Um, you know, and, and, but I, but I, you know, this, this notion of, of abandonment for me was, has certainly come into play and, um, not that my my mom, who I actually know very well now, uh, my birth mom, she's my mom. Um, you know, you know, she was doing the best she could. She was very young yeah. when she gave birth to me, and and she she felt like like the best thing for me would be to give me up for adoption, which was absolutely the right choice. Um, and then at the time, you know, my 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 father was married, and ended up getting a divorce when I was still a toddler, and there was a moment of you know, I don't remember this, um, but he, you know, he relayed to me that um, when I was very young, as they were going through this process, um, you know, my, you know, his, his ex-wife came over and I was on the sidewalk and I said, mommy. And she said, I am not your mother. Mm. And like pointed at me with this rigid stiff finger, um, you know, which is why I died so much. It, yeah, and and I don't remember that, but I, I get the sense that 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 That's kind of, of early trauma has definitely informed my life. And in, in terms mm-hmm. of, um, you know, I, I I didn't really have that mother figure growing up, um, and I really, God, like the love for my dad and and what he sacrificed to raise me is, I don't know if I could ever understand that. Yeah, because uh, he gave up everything to to be my dad, and you know, in a in a culture that's you know, I, I think in, in many parts favored towards, towards the, the, you know, the wife, right? Like mm-hmm. he gave up everything to, to be my dad. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I get the sense that in many ways that um, unseen trauma was lurking beneath the surface of my, mm-hmm. of my life growing up, you know, in, in terms of like, because a, a mom is so important, right? And and I think that being being nursed, being breastfed, is so important as a child. You know, my son is six, and and he was he was nursed for almost three years. Yeah. And not having that that constant support of of a nurturing mother made an impact. Oh, and my yeah. dad, you know, my dad was a go getter. Like he, you know, he needed to provide for his family, and so. He was a very, you know, he, he was former military. He's a, he was a businessman and um, it, it was hard for him to express his emotions. Right. And so, yeah. he was very, you know, he, he wasn't authoritative by, by any stretch of the imagination, but he was very firm, um, you know, and, and, and he instilled in me the, the mantra of, um, <laughs> um, work first, then play and, and always yeah. do your best. And, um, yeah, so it was, I think like, I think that those are at like, those experiences are at the root of, of my depression mm-hmm. and, you know, I, 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 I tend to really hold on to the mindset that, you know, no one here is at fault. And if anybody's at fault, it, it's me, um, meaning that like I'm in control of, how I relate to my experiences and I can always make a new choice and psilocybin absolutely has helped me make a new choice. Um, you know, and, and, and I will share as well that potentially, um, and, and this may be obvious maybe to some of your listeners, but when I was at West Point, um, I turned 21 my sophomore year when I was there. And that's the year that my, my mom, my, my birth mom reached out to me mm. and, you know, she was like, um, 
you know, she just, she just wanted to reach out and say, Hey, do you want to have a conversation? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. I want to have a conversation. You're my mom. Let's, let's do yeah. it with <laughs> what's going on. And so, you know, um, I think that that had an impact on, oh yeah, on my, you know, my, my budding career as well. Um, you would my, think so, but who, I mean, I, I'm not one to say yes, but it, it sure does seem like it would. It seems like, it. yeah, it, it's taken me, maybe I'm, I'm admitting that now with you is like, yeah, like that was an influence. And, and again, not to, not to place blame on, on my mom. She just wanted to get to know her son. You know, I, I have two amazing sisters, um, you know, wow. she, she married. And so, you know, so I found out like, oh, basically overnight that I have a mom, I have two sisters, you know, there's, you know, this other big part of my my life, this family that I never got to meet or know. And so, yeah, one could argue that that probably likely had a tremendous impact on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, now I, I would make that argument. Did, did uh, any of the work with mushrooms or psychedelics bring any of that out about your mom, your sisters, family, anything like that come out during your sessions? Not, not yet. Not yet. And, and, and I'll be, you know, quite frank here I, I i tend to keep the frequency of my use to about once a year yeah um you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm really considering increasing that frequency <laughs> um <laughs> have I, you tried I'm, a microdose regimen oh yeah so so I, i've certainly had th- done the microdose regimen and and that has helped a lot i mean you know i, I wouldn't i would i would never say that i'm healed from depression um yeah you know, and, and honestly, I think that, that, that having major depression or just being depressed, right, is, is a normal part of the human experience. Um, we just need better tools on how to cope with, with the symptoms and to learn how to recognize them. But in, in terms of my, my experiences with, with psilocybin in particular, um, you know, those, the, those haven't specifically come up, those experiences in terms of that that trauma, but the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the insight afterward, um, I think was certainly inspired by those experiences. I'm, I'm also in, in my earlier years, meaning like five or six years ago, I was, uh, um, regularly seeing a Jungian, um, analyst and, hmm. and he just, man, um, really helped shed some light on this. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, a, a lot of my experiences recently have been, pointing towards integrating that part of my life. And, and I think it's going to take a lot more than, than just working with psilocybin, but, you know, honestly, Stuart, you know, like this is therapeutic, just sharing it with you. And and I talk yeah. about it with, with my family, with, you know, my wife and, you know, close, close friends of mine as well. And um, it's just one of those things where, you know, at least I can recognize it and, and acknowledge it. And it, you know, it, certainly um you know at the very least that insight um makes a huge difference yeah and it seems like once we've done some of that work anytime we start talking about it in whatever context you know new things can come out or it just it just helps so it seems like you know i talk to my wife i talk to friends or whatever and you find yourself like huh I hadn't really thought about that before, you know, different things solidify, like you said, integrate. And I think that the medicines really help kind of lay that foundation or open your mind up to being, to being open to that. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, now you said, uh, and first of all, I'm sorry to hear, hear about your dad. You said he passed away about a year ago. Mm-hmm. He did. So did he know about all this, about the, the psychedelics? And, and if he did, what was, what was his attitude or what were his thoughts? Was there any kind of a, for his age, you know, the, the work hard, play hard, be, do, do the best you can kind of uh, parenting generation. Sometimes they don't look on this stuff like, like we do. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he was, so he, he was 72 when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, he was deeply, deeply, deeply invested in, in my time at, at West Point. Um because you know early on he saw my potential and always yeah. encouraged me to to take that path if that's what I truly wanted like he was always in my corner whatever decision that I would make he was always there 
Nice. And yeah, like he, at first he was pretty skeptical. I mean, I, I always ran, um, you know, with, with our, with our, our ballot language in Denver, I would run every copy by him and get his feedback. Um, you know, but he was always there in my corner. And yeah. I think that, you know, I'm grateful that, um, you know, before he passed away, he was able to, to see me complete something that I was so passionate about. Yeah. Um, and he, he was proud. And, and I, I, you know, I'm so grateful that we were able to, that, that I was able to share this kind of new part of my life with him and for him to be a part of the experience. Um, you know, and, and, and I, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, wherever he is now, he's in the etheric realm. He certainly doesn't need mushrooms. <laughs> right. Um, that, you know, but part, part of me is like, man, if only I could have, you know, <laughs> really had like a deep dive with him. Yeah. You know, with psilocybin before he passed away, maybe things would have been different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the conditions of his passing were, it, it was very sudden and it shocked all of us. Um, so he was, uh, you know, anyway i'm not gonna what if myself like what if i did this like you know but it's like i'm just i'm really happy that he um i I know he was proud and so that's what that's what matters to me good good yeah the what ifs are hard you know as you know and probably most listeners know I, i lost my son to suicide and so the what ifs come up with everything you know what i mean i think oh you know we could have lived in this neighborhood instead of where i live what if you know, I remember buying him these, these tennis shoes, what if, every little thing, you're just like, what if, so I, I can, I can relate to those feelings. So I'm not, yeah, it's, uh, they suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, he's, you know, I can, I can have a conversation with him anytime now and it's nice. You know, it's, uh, yeah, he's still, he's yeah. still out. <laughs> he's yeah. Watching. I hear you. I hear you. Well, that's awesome. Um, so, but I got to caveat this next question is uh, I want to ask you what recommendations you would have. So somebody else out there who's dealing with depression, dealing with childhood trauma or whatnot, and, and they haven't found an answer in, in traditional medicines, or maybe they've gotten some help, but they know there's more help to be had. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple caveats. One is uh, uh, if you're on any kind of medications, talk to your doctor because there are a lot of contraindications and some can be very dangerous. And I think uh, if I had to predict it, neither Kevin nor I would say that uh, these these uh, substances are for everybody. If they're not, and we're not recommending that you run out and take them. Um, but given given that that uh, caveat right there, and now now that I've scared everybody and they've turned us off, um, <laughs> what what recommend if somebody came to you? Because I know this happens to you because it happens to me when I go to a conference. People come up to me and ask me, yeah. so I know it's happening to you. Um, come up to you and say. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. You know, what, what do I do? You know, I hear all this stuff. I've read all the stuff at maps and at Johns Hopkins and, you know, Kevin, what, what do I do, you know, to, to get some of the same experiences you have? What would you, what, what advice would you give to somebody who is new to all this? Yeah. Thank you, Stuart. Cause I, I, I would have said the same, the same stuff that, that you said. Um, it's really important because psilocybin is not a panacea. Right. And, right. and I think what I would say is that, that, um, the equally, if not what's, what's more important in terms of, of working with psilocybin is what happens after the experience, hmm. um, the, the integration, the, the conversations, the, the insight, the journaling, um, you know, talking it out. Um, I, I think it's at least 50, 50, like, like the trip, some folks are saying now I've, I've heard along the grapevine that um, some organizations are trying to take the trip out of psilocybin yes. and other psychedelics to see if that'll have the same impact um, in terms of, of therapeutic use. And, and I would argue that the trip is an integral part of the experience because we need that. We need the default mode network to, to, um, to mute a little bit, right? Yeah. For that, for that, that um, integration in the in in our, in our brain to occur. Um, 
different parts of the brain talking to different parts of the brain that don't normally communicate where we can find this new insight and, and have this, you know, potentially radical opportunity for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, like, you know, in really encouraging people to understand that, that integration is by far um, a necessary, absolutely necessary component to, to working with psilocybin or any other um, psychedelic, right? I mean, just yeah. look, look to the, I mean, I mean, you could look either to the, the clinical studies as an example where they do pre and post therapy in addition to the experience, or, you know, we know that those studies are modeled after traditional use where, you know, it's not, you know, Western style talk therapy, but if you go into, you know, if you're using psilocybin or other psychedelics in a traditional way, there's, there's the, the, um, you know, the, the, the pre kind of dialogue experience beforehand, at least from my experience. And then, mm-hmm. and then the trip, and then afterwards you're, you're, you know, you're, you're wide open, your heart's wide open. Um, at, at least for me, it has been in some cases and you're, you're sharing about it. Right. So knowing that integration is important, it's, it's not just like, a, um, in terms of folks who are interested, you know, and I, I would argue that it's, it's not like medicines in you, right? Like, like the potential for healing already exists within you. Yeah. Sometimes we need this for, for folks, especially in my case, um, where it's like really treatment resistant, you know, we need this, this, this catalyst that dissolves the boundaries, right. Or dissolves the, um, what's in the way to, to find clarity and, and then really talking about it afterwards. And so what goes along with that is, is having, you know, one doing your research, right. Understanding, you know, why it's important to have a, a safe environment. Um, and if yeah. you're working with other people, that those are people you trust, right. You know, hopefully they're, they're qualified as a, at the very least as a guide or, or, or somebody who can, who can fill that role. Um, and, and having this, you know, safe kind of cocoon womb like environment where you feel comfortable to really dive in um, into your subconscious um, to navigate or try to navigate this territory um, or at the very least allow the experience to unfold as it does without your conscious influence. Um, and, and so with that, you know, understanding that like having that mindset, um, having that intention with this work is, is critical because you, you could, I've done this before, you know, you can, you can go into a, um, a, a, an experience with psilocybin or, or ayahuasca or, I mean, I mean, even others like LSD or MDMA, right. And, and not really have that strong intention. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, the experience hasn't been as, as profound as it is when I have that solid intention. It's like, you, you have to like upload the, the, um, it, like, I think the way I like to think about it is like, like upload the information first. So like the medicine knows what it's supposed to work with. Yeah, you're kind of laying out the, the the map or the the whatever in inside there. So when the medicine gets through, it can say, okay, here's what I have to work with. Yeah, well, which can go like it can also go in the opposite direction, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like I think a big part of this too is like allowing yourself to not be in control. Um, yes, because if we try to control the experience again, from my own working, from my own experience working with this, like there's an element of surrender, absolutely. Um, but I, what I found like at the very least, like, you know, writing down what you hope to get from the experience that's inside of a safe container. Um, yeah. You know, for me, nine times out of 10, it's, um, you know, I, I get a lot of value from that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, you know, the irony is for me, I don't know that my intention has ever been addressed. I always went into these with like, here's my intention. Here's what I want to do. And, and it seems like, especially with psilocybin, you know, mushrooms are like, yeah, that's nice to her, but here's what you've really got to look at, <laughs> you know? And ayahuasca is like not even in the same realm of information. It's like, I know you tried to communicate something to me, you simpleton, but here's <laughs> what we've got, you know, to go. 
And I would have these weird experiences. And I went to a friend and I asked, I told her she had these great experiences in Central America. And I said, listen, I'm not having the kind of experiences with ayahuasca that I was hoping. And she said, well, what, what do you do? And I said, well, I stopped setting an attention. And now I just say, just let go. And she said, well, that is an intention itself. She said, you're actually conditioning your brain for, with expectations when you say, just let go. Because now you're hoping you'll let go. So she said, just go into it and say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I took that into a, a series of ceremonies and just said, I don't know. And it came out of it with just like the biggest lessons. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's really, I always look at, at people that come in and, and set these intentions and I look around the room and then at the end of the ceremony, we integrate and they talk about it. And I'm like, wow, you know, I can't believe that, you know, they're able to come in here and do like what you said is kind of pile some stuff up and say, okay, here's the clay, let's work with this. And then it actually works. So I'm always amazed to, to hear that, to hear that. And I want, I want people to hear that and not, not go by what I said, but just, it's just ironic that my, my experiences seem to be not, not unique. Other people have said the same thing, but, but not necessarily like the way it's going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if, you know, sometimes when we set an intention, we're hoping for a specific answer, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I'm doing super rigid. Like I want this and I want clarity on this. And so you must give me clarity on this mushrooms. Right. And like, yeah, in, in that case, it's, <laughs> they're going to be nope. like, well, uh-uh. No, no. Here, here's what you're like. If that's your intention, then you know you're. Here's what we're gonna show you. We're gonna have a conversation, and you know, depending on how deep you go, like it, it can go. It can. I, I think at the end of the day, it's always. Um, again, speaking from my own experience, like it, it's there's something to be had from the experience that can maybe relate in some way. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about ayahuasca, like I, I did a, I, I had a, my, what was it? My fifth, sixth and seventh um, ceremony, you know, over a, a three day weekend recently, mm -hmm. not, not too recently, but recently enough. Um, I can, I can agree like by the third evening and, and the second cup, <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, gosh, you know what it was? It, it was that place of surrender. It was like, and I found myself like literally found myself in this space of, of, uh, I, something I've been searching for, for a long time, which wow. was, was this space of perfect meditation. Huh. Um, and it, you know, it only lasted a few seconds because my mind started analyzing, Right. right. And, and that, and then this, this bickering back and forth of like, no, get back, go find, go find <laughs> that space again. Like, no, we got to analyze this and figure out how to get there. No, 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 no. And then like it, that kind of spiraled a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my, you know, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I, 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 for, for my own purposes, especially like it's helpful to me to at least write something down, even if it's, you know, intention may be a strong word um but like why you know why am i doing this why why am i volun voluntarily opting in for a potential ego death right yeah and, you know who does that um, temporary psychosis <laughs> potentially <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah, a good point um you're talking about how your brain was fighting with itself mm. in this, this uh, thing that anybody's ever meditated has, has dealt with on some level, like, no, no, shut up. I was there. I was just at that perfect spot. Um, it kind of brings up the subject of, of consciousness overall. And before you and I, you know, started this and we were talking to each other about some stuff, we, we kind of brought up the notion of, of consciousness. And I wanted to know, um, kind of a sidebar, you know, with the, the subject matter of what we're talking about here, but a lot of people would say it's very relevant because we're exploring our consciousness. So what, I don't even know what question to ask you, because sometimes I'll ask somebody, so what do you think consciousness is? And they'll be like, wow, that's such a big question. Why don't you start with something easier? <laughs> um, but what are, yeah, yeah, I did that to one of my guests on my other podcasts. Like, so what is consciousness? I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. Let's, let's talk about some other stuff first, and then we'll answer the big question. 
but what are your what are your thoughts on on consciousness? What did you want to bring up, or what was on top of your mind about that? Oh my goodness! Um, Got to talk about talk about my wife again, and, yeah. and I'm, I might I might mess this up. Uh, that's right. But a, but a quote that she has that's that resonates with me is that life is the divine comedy of the great metaphor. Life is the divine comedy of the great metaphor. Yeah. And, you know, the way that I look at consciousness is that, you know, life is a constant feedback loop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And recently I've been doing a lot, I've reignited my own interest and, 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 and like personal research, which seems like such, such a misnomer because when we, you know, when one consumes psilocybin mushrooms, they're, they're plunged into this again, from my experience, I'm, I'm plunged into this, um, you know, expansive field of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one could argue that like the doing the like the work of working with psilocybin and other psychedelics is the work of consciousness and exploring consciousness, you know, exploring the, the, the myriad of ways that our awareness can reflect on something inside of our experience. And then we we, you know, like, you know, so one has to ask like, what is our experience and how is that defined? Yeah. <laughs> is it subjective? Is it objective? What are all these, you know, like how is that experience formed and, and framed and what's the context? Um, but what, I, what I'm, you know, I'm certainly not one to, to argue with the law of attraction. Um, I think that's an actual thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that attention matters. I, I think that our, our attention, our awareness is our, is our absolute greatest asset. Um, it's, I, I think that our, our awareness is the, the utmost form of currency. And when we say the word currency, you know, folks think of like money, but mm-hmm. just like energetic exchange, it's a current that's running from, from like point A to point B. And so what we, what we focus on, um, tends to manifest in our life in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a yogic principle um, that's uh, again, not going to get this completely right, but um, where, where energy goes or, or where awareness goes, energy flows, you know, mm. like what you focus on is what manifests in reality. And, and I can relate to that because my self-talk right with, with experiencing major depression, it was always negative. It was always like, you're a piece of shit. You're not, you're not worthy, blah, 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 blah. And sure enough, like that's how my life showed up. Um, and, and I, you know, opportunities here and there missed um, or because I, I felt like I wasn't worthy or I had this yeah. like, guilt and shame that I was experiencing and, and constantly reinforcing in my own um, my own self-talk, my own perception of reality. And so I, I think that, you know, there's with, so psilocybin, right? This whole psychedelic renaissance to me is that, is that metaphor, you know, psychedelics are not a panacea, but they can be a doorway to a new way of thinking. And, and I think that what we're seeing, you know, in, in the world right now, especially with rising rates of anxiety and depression and, and suicidality, right. especially in light of, of the coronavirus, like, um, oh gosh, and, and this is hard, right? But I, I think that we have an opportunity to, I truly believe that we have an opportunity to, to inform our reality, or even one might say create our reality, because to me, what it comes down to is how, we respond to our circumstances, you know, and, and to me, there's a difference between being reactionary and being responsive. I think that reactionary is, is rooted in our trauma when we react to something hmm. you know, like just like hitting play because somebody, somebody hits your trigger, you get triggered by something and then you react to it because you're, you're acting from a place of, of your trauma. 
Um, and I do this all the time. I react all the time to things, especially with my wife, right? <laughs> or my son who's six years right. old. <laughs> um, so learning how to be more patient and, and like, so I, so I think, you know, reaction um, as distinct from responding to life where responding to life, you know, takes in the information, recognizes the feelings that are bubbling up to the surface. And then um, instead of being owned by the feelings and reacting, we're owning the feelings and acknowledging them and then, and then responding. Um, and so I think that like we have an opportunity literally every second of the day to learn how to respond more than react and, and coupled with that, you know, especially if we have this, like, like imagine life is this great psychedelic experience, you know, Elon Musk saying that, you know, we're, we're in a potentially inside of a, what, what does he say? In, a, simulation. Of a simulation right now. Like, like it, you know, if that's the case, if this is a simulation, then, you know, perhaps we have a little bit more autonomy over our experience. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and the Dennis McKenna calls it a hallucination reality. There you go. Right. And so it's like, so like if the experience of life is this hallucination reality, then from, from my perspective, you know, we can start to um, have a relationship with the experience where we're, we're directing our awareness toward a preferred outcome. Yeah. Um, and like, not to say that I could, you know, my preferred outcome is to magically, you know, manifest an apple in the palm of my hands. Not to say that's totally outside the realm of possibility, but like, yeah, I think learning how to respond to life on a moment by moment basis, that's that, that if not, only acknowledges but is is free from our our conditioned trauma yeah then, then then the more of life we can experience wow yeah the uh a guy that i call my teacher whom i've never met <laughs> is uh ram das right yeah and he points out you know in the bible jesus says if you had had faith you could move mountains and the funny thing is you say, you know, I couldn't really manifest an apple in my hand. You know, what he says is, well, you, you can, when you get to the, a certain point, you can, you do have the power to do that, but you also realize that you can't, you know what I mean? So when you, we finally get to that moment, I think it's called city, like you have, mm. you have powers mm. and you could yeah. actually move a mountain. You could put an apple in your hand, but at the same time, you're, you're wise enough to know that you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I am the ultimate power on the planet. Yeah. Watch me manifest this and this and this. Yeah, probably not a great idea. <laughs> yeah, unless you're in a Marvel comic, right? You just you're you're smart enough to know. Okay, that's not something I should do. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's ironic. Yeah, yeah those are great points. You know, I I like to think that well, because because I'm a Virgo, by the way, so I'm highly analytical. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my my head is certainly in the clouds a lot. Um. And I, I think that I'm, I'm learning how to be so much more in my body. Hmm. Um, I think that, that the, the seat of our consciousness is it, it's in fact, like at our lower centers, like the, our, our, our root chakra or our sacral chakra. If your audience doesn't know about chakras, these are, these are, um, you know, nerve plexuses that exist in the body that that have their own kind of you know functioning purposes so it's the yogis weren't too far off right like they recognized that these these energy centers existed and it just so happens that if we look at it from a western medical perspective that um where all of the yogic chakras line up um in their system it also lines up with where all these like you know highly bundled nerve endings or, or nerve nerve bundles occur in the body yeah. so it's like I think that the seat of our consciousness is actually in our gut. Um, and that's, you know, we have, it's called the enteric nervous system. Right. And that's where so much of our, our, our subconscious kind of like bodily operations occur. Um, yeah. There's a whole brain going on down there. Whole brain down there. Right. There's a brain down like, yeah, it's like millions, maybe our billions of nerve endings. Same thing with the heart too, right? The heart's a, a mini brain. Um, 
I think that, you know, w- one thing that, that we get confused a lot by, by being, you know, immersed in this Western dominated culture and way of thinking is that it, it is very heady. Um, it's very analytical. You know, we need the data. We need to know by, by virtue of the numbers, what the answer is. Whereas um, I think in many ways, well, that's valid and, and a great thing to like have data backing up our experience of life. You know, we, we also have an opportunity as, as humans to, to remember or to, or to get plugged back into our intuition um, and, the, and that part of our, hmm. our thinking that exists in that kind of belly enteric nervous system. Cause the, you know, f- from my understanding, you know, the, the, the body, um, well, 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 the, the brain's a part of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some, I think some folks argue that consciousness occurs as a result of electrical energy occurring in the brain and the nervous system. Well, you know, yeah. if that's, if that's the case, then that must include our entire body. And so, you know, we have these different parts of our body that, that regulate certain functions and, um, I think, you know, have a lot more impact on our, on our thinking and, uh, and on how we interact in the world than, than we realize. And so, you know, uh, again, a part of this, this psychedelic renaissance, um, is forming a, a, a new relationship with, with how we understand how our, our bodies work, um, and towards the end of gaining a deeper understanding of, of how we can, you know, we can take advantage of this like tremendous biological quantum supercomputer that is our nervous system and our body, you know, simply having an experience of being a human on this planet yeah. that has the ability to connect with this, the cosmos, right. From, from these, these tremendous alkaloids that help us, provide an experience or help us experience. <laughs> yeah. They sure do give you some, you know, either a hallucination or reality or whatever, some kind of an insight to that possibility. Yeah. Which again, which is why I think it's important, like, you know, like psychedelics aren't a panacea and, and I'm, I'm not convinced that, you know, looking at, um, models for the future, right. That, like, well, I'll just say it this way. Like these psychedelics need to be used responsibly. Um, yes. If we go back and, and look at traditional, you know, traditional human use over the course of millennia, they're always arguing what 99% of the time used in, in, in a ceremonial context. Right. And not to be taken lightly and, right. and deeply respected and, and, and venerated for, um, you know, the doors that can open the doors of perception, right. That can sometimes blast wide open from, from an experience. Yeah. I think having some respect for that going into it, whatever the quote ceremonial aspect is for, for somebody is important. Yeah. Whether whether that's in a clinical setting or with your, you know, your local guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. So let's uh, great info on consciousness. I love that. Thank you. Um, so as we wrap this up, I know there's a couple of things that I was personally wanting to, to hear from you in terms of, uh, the organization Spore, uh, your work from, uh, Denver to DC and back with decriminalization lobbying. So fill us in, you know, whatever you want to tell us, you know, the, the history of it or what you're currently working on, whatever you want to put out there in terms of, of those efforts, because you've gone from, uh, depression in West Point and in your journeys to really making some changes in your life. And now you're actively working to, to make sure that other people can have access to this. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way to, to say it is, is actively working to ensure that other people have access to this, right? Not that yeah. folks don't, I mean, you know, if anybody wanted to, I'm sure they could find somebody on the underground to, mm-hmm to find some mushrooms or, or find, you know, find your, 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 your curandero or curandera. Um, but there are risks to that. And, you know, so much of the work that we're doing is to bring more of this work above board. And, and a lot of that has to do with education, 
So, you know, to, to go back to kind of the, the beginning of, of, of my professional work in this space, you know, after we were successful with our campaign in Denver, um, and, and just in case your audience doesn't yeah, know, please. yeah, in, in Denver in, in May 2019, we had a municipal election in the city of sitting county of Denver, and we um, decriminalized the, the personal personal possession use and cultivation with no limit on cultivation of psilocybin mushrooms for adults 21 and over. And we prevented the city and county of Denver from using any city funds to prosecute individuals um, for possession use and cultivation. It does right. not, it does not include um, distribution um, or like, you know, uh, profitable sales. So right. that's still illegal. And technically, I mean, we got as close as we could to full decriminalization by preventing the city from using funds to prosecute. Right. Um, and, and in a lot of other circumstances, you know, prior to this kind of grassroots legislative renaissance that we're seeing with psychedelics, most decriminalization focused on, um, you know, minimizing fines, right? So deprioritizing. So in, in Denver, psilocybin is, is the lowest enforcement priority in the city. And, and the, you know, there's no prosecution that's allowed, um, but it's still illegal. Um, it's right. still illegal in the state of Colorado, right? Um, it's still illegal federally. So we understood that after succeeding with our campaign that we, you know, we needed to form a public advocacy group whose mission was to educate the public. And so we formed SPORE. And SPORE is the Society for Psychedelic Outreach, Reform, and Education. And, and SPORE's mission is to educate the public, um, organize community, and foster leadership in, in this psychedelic ecosystem that's emerging. Uh, SPORE is a working towards 501c3 nonprofit status. We're currently fiscally sponsored. Um, and our fiscal sponsors are an incredible organization called uh, Reconsider. That's reconsider.org for your audience if they're interested hmm. in checking them out. Yeah, and I'll put um, that in the notes. Thank you. Yeah, which just means that, you know, they, they essentially, you know, we're allowed to receive tax deductible donations through Reconsider and they go yeah. to score, um, which is huge for a lot of folks. And so I'm, I'm very excited because, um, you know, this year, well, in our, in our founding year, which was 2020 for sport, we raised nearly $140,000. Um, wow. We gave um, just about $40,000 back to um, support COVID-19 mutual aid efforts across the country and uh, to other um, psychedelic nonprofits in the space to support their work. And we're also, so this year, we're launching our, our first major educational programming, and it's called uh, Psychedelic, it's called PRIME. I'm, I'm, I'm an acronym guy, Stuart, so PRIME. <laughs> Prime so, is, so what is uh, this one? PRIME is a Psychedelic Responsibility, Incubation, and Mycelial Education. Nice. And so sport, sports MO is Mycelial Organizing which is, you know, horizontal leadership, right? Decentralized. Um, yeah. You know, we want to create that. Well, we are creating this, this, you know, general public education about psychedelics. And we're also actively, you know, building a coalition of, of organizations and, and community leaders here in Denver and nationwide, but really focused here in Colorado, um, on creating a platform so that folks who are interested in, in really getting involved in psychedelics, you know, folks who, who can recognize the, the cultural and societal, you know, transformational value of like, you know, how psilocybin and how psychedelics can, can, you know, help catalyze this, this, um, th this, this emerging emergent culture, you know, we want to create that platform so that folks can share their knowledge and share their wisdom and share their experience and, and, um, and get involved and, and actually, um, you know, potentially, um, you know, get funded to do it. Um, yeah. and so a lot of what spores work this year, especially is going to be around, um, organizing this community here in Colorado 
and and really identifying you know what are the needs of our community um you know there are a lot of psychedelic communities in the u.s mm-hmm. and it seems to me that there isn't really a cohesive singular community right right and and not from like a top-down perspective but like you know how are we all if if we're all sitting at this table together um what is you know what's the most impactful way that that we can move forward to um engender this sense of of cultural compassion and and um unity unity that's that's possible here so that's a lot yeah. of the work that sport is doing and, and we're launching prime uh, i think right now our, our target is 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 in april with that and so wow. as a co-founder of sport so the yeah the that that first iteration of, of our general psychedelic education in, in april um you know where where we're not educating people we're bringing in the educators to talk about to talk about this work um and you know as a co-founder of spore um i i co-founded spore with um a good friend of mine um my partner his name is matthew duffy um you know i've for the last year i've been the executive director i'm actually stepping i've stepped back as the executive director um to let other other better more informed folks take the helm to to really enable spore and, and really build that you know build upon the foundation that we've built in the last year to take the helm and and focus on the the community organizing and educational work so i'm staying on the board uh but nice. not running the daily operations um and that's because you've freed, got some other things you're working on i have some other things i'm working on so that that's freed me up to i mean first of all um i'm I'm the president of the Denver psilocybin mushroom policy review panel. Nice. And that was, that was mandated by our initiative in Denver um, as a panel to uh, really assess and review the uh, social um, health and fiscal impacts of decrim in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now it's, you know, it's, it, it's looking pretty good. good. So there's that, there's that work. We have a comprehensive report that's due to our city council. We're going to have that in front of our council likely in mid to late March. And then I also, um, I'm a, a super green new lobbyist in Colorado now. Um, wow. Yeah. And so I, I registered uh, my organization, um, my new organization, Helix Consulting Group. And I'm, um, you know, directly engaging, directly lobbying elected officials at our state legislature. Um, really this year identifying key allies in the legislature who may be willing to sponsor a bill to uh, both decriminalize and regulate psilocybin for medical use in Colorado next year. Um, so that that's new. And so that's, that's me doing, you know, in full transparency here, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of that policy guy. I love yeah, yeah. to talk to elected officials and, and, really like, like, like lay people about the, the benefits and the risks, right. But the benefits of psilocybin and, and, and its potential and, and other psychedelics. And so that for me doing that more top down approach, um, engaging elected officials, educating them, you know, seeing who might be open to sponsoring a bill in Colorado, uh, because we'd prefer not to spend five to $8 million on a, on a statewide campaign, right. That, mm those funds can be used for something else. And so really giving kudos to Carlos Pozzola um, and the folks at Decriminalize Nature, you know, Larry, um, you know, their model of, of engaging their elected officials first to do their due diligence um, before a lot of that cash is spent on a campaign. Right. So yeah. if we can, if we can find allies in the legislature this year, and I think we have some already, uh, we may have a chance at decriminalizing psilocybin in Colorado this year. Um, hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe fingers crossed. Um, and, you know, and then we could potentially, um, you know, push the needle here in Colorado as well in 2022, if not this year. And so much of this is around, I mean, it, it's, it's all community in my, in my mind, you know, even though I'm a, a lobbyist, which is a term that has, I think a lot of stuff attached to it, you know, I'm, I've, I've structured Helix and, and the work that I'm doing there to make it as transparent as possible um, and open source as possible and to really engage the community as much as possible. 
um, so that our, our elected officials here in Colorado, at the very least, excuse me, know that, um, you know, there is a constituency that's supporting this work. And, and that's important to me. It's, it's a yeah. community effort, you know, Helix and Spore are, are deeply integrated. Um, and there's just more work to do. Always, always more work, but I'm so glad you're out there doing it. You're setting a really great example for other groups, you know, around the country who are trying to make things like this happen in their own communities. I know you've been very, very generous with your, your time and your, your wisdom and knowledge that you've accumulated in your own efforts and sharing those, sharing that with other groups. So I'm really grateful for that. And, and I'm grateful for you coming here today and, and sharing your story and helping anybody else out there who's exploring the idea of psychedelics or who wants to get involved in their community to decriminalize. All of it has been very inspirational and, I, and I'm really grateful for your time, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you, Stuart. It was certainly my pleasure. It's been a, it's been a joy talking with you. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.